sometimes it's kids that come in as 12 and 13 year olds in the summer and they just need to learn how to fix their flat or get a patch kit. You have a kid that might start at 11 or 12 because they just want to get some tubes or something like that and they end up becoming incredibly interested in mechanical engineering because these are simple machines. And sometimes you have kids that start at 17 because they're interested in mechanical engineering and want to start working on bikes. They provide an access point to a wide range of different kids, of different age ranges. Bikes can create community and link people up with resources that don't necessarily end up having anything to do with cycling. The fact of the matter is kids are changing every single year, and the things that they're into and the things that are going to be engaging to them are, are changing drastically as well. And so you got to be able to kind of adapt to those things and find those points of engagement wherever they are if you want to be able to kind of have any cachet to move forward in the future. This is DJ Fish. He's with Blackstone Bicycle Works. We are a nonprofit that is operated and funded by Experimental Station, a larger nonprofit that operates out of the Woodlawn neighborhood in uh, Chicago's South Side, and they do a variety of different projects. And a lot of the stuff ends up tying back into what we do with the kids at the uh, bike shop as well. The 61st Street Farmer's Market is a great example. Um, so kids in our program, they earn hours for the time that they spend in the program working on bikes and doing stuff like that. And those hours, they're then able to use as a form of currency. So they can use it to purchase uh, newer used parts or bikes from the shop and then also at the farmer's market. So in the summer... Uh, we have one every weekend. In the winter, it's once a month. But we get a bunch of kids that come in, and they get their market dollars, and they can buy all sorts of stuff. A lot of times, it tends to be uh, frozen yogurt, because there's a frozen yogurt stand, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is always fun when you're trying to, like, true a wheel, and a kid has an ice cream cone in their hand. So it's a sweet place to work because of all the different ways that we can get kids involved in uh, the community at large. A sweet place to work. Did you know you were doing that with the frozen yogurt? <laughs> that was good. That's a really interesting system. That's very creative, and it's organized. And So who's behind all of this uh, genius? And you have an apron system. It's like martial arts where you get a different apron yeah, for each yeah. level. So um, when the kids come in, we track the skills that they're gaining and the hours that they spend in the program. So the hours operate as currency, and then the skills that they gain, we have different skill sheets. And that's where the, the martial arts apron system kind of comes into place. Our kids get a chance to kind of integrate with different projects and programs that operate within our building. So the bike shop is just one space within our building. But we have other places like Southside Weekly, which is a community newspaper, um, and the Invisible Institute, which deals with police interaction on Chicago Southside. Uh -huh. um, just last year, the Chicago Tribune put out a really interesting article about the rates of cycling tickets um, that are given out on the south side versus the north side. The north side is predominantly white and has a lot of like higher economic value areas, and then the south side is predominantly African-American and is less developed. And you saw a much higher rate of tickets on the south side. Now, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Vision Zero out there. Uh, so Vision Zero is an initiative to end traffic fatalities, whether they are car pedestrian, car cyclist, or car car. Um, and in Chicago, it's, it's kind of been interesting the way that some of those grants uh, and the money for those grants have 
been planned and allocated right now. Vision Zero takes a three-pronged approach to what they do. They do education, um, infrastructure, and enforcement. And in the richer and whiter areas, education and infrastructure tend to be what happens. So they do a lot of cycling training, and they build protected bike lanes and stuff like that. But if you come to Chicago Southside, their answer right now is more police presence and more enforcement. And tying that into, like, the study that the Tribune did, we can see for people that are actually on the South Side working and seeing the interactions that individuals are having with uh, law enforcement, that it's not really going to solve the issue. It's kind of just going to exacerbate current community struggles. Um, so one of the things that we try and do at Blackstone is train kids in, in safe cycling and how to navigate those situations should they come up. Do you want to share what you share with the kids is that like a multiple day training or would that be just like a talk or it's i suppose less structured than that it's kind of just when necessary if kids are having those interactions or coming to the shop saying that they've had stuff like that happen to them we have people in our building that are trained to deal with those types of incidents so it could be that a kid has had a bad interaction with a cpd officer and they don't feel like they have any ability to kind of go about navigating that situation, being made whole afterwards or something like that. And so we are able to kind of link them up with different community supports and different supports just within our building so that they have the ability to talk to a lawyer that specializes in police interactions so they can find out if what happened to them was entirely legal and stuff like that. And so oftentimes when you're... Uh, a teenager on the south side, you don't have a whole lot of power. And so being in a place that is going to um, try and enrich the entire person and and give them a whole lot of resources, not just bikes, ends up being really important. Mm -hmm. You're a holistic kind of agency. Yeah, we refer to, to Blackstone as a holistic program because as we recognize needs, we try and meet them as effectively as possible. So the, uh, the homework support and our, our homework and tutoring area didn't really exist until um, a few years ago. And we just kind of recognized that as we had more and more kids coming from the elementary school that was across the street um, and some of our older kids struggling with kind of navigating the structures of college applications and, and everything that goes into that, that it became a necessity to put some support systems uh, in place. Hmm. That come through Blackstone Bikes or the Experimental Station? That is your uh, through, umbrella. Through Blackstone. I mean, it, it kind of all is through Experimental Station because they give us our funding. Um, but it, it's like a Blackstone initiative. And it's available to Blackstone participants. So, like, we have college counseling uh, that we offer. Um, and that's offered to any high schooler um, that is in our program. Hmm. You'll be doing the college counseling right there. Is there a separate room from where you fix the learn to yeah, yeah. do totally. the bikes? Sometimes it's even happening just behind the counter in the shop and stuff like that. We are in a little bit of a limited space. So the building that houses Experimental Station and Blackstone Bike Works was Chicago's first recycling center. It used to be known as the, I think, the Resource Center or something like that. So the building that we're in has been in the city and like a, a part of the South side in that community for, I think going on 40 years, if not a little bit more than that. Um, and so there have been a whole lot of different things that have happened within there. And so the bike shop kind of came to be out of a bunch of people 
dropping off old bike frames at this recycling center. And uh, the people that own the space, uh, one of the guys, Dan Peterson, was just, like, fixing up these bikes, and people were coming by, and he was giving them used parts and stuff that had been donated, and they kind of just happened organically. Um, and so it was never necessarily designed to be a bike shop or a youth program, but it became one. And so our ability to, like, have a dedicated space just for college counseling or a dedicated space for this or that, uh, we end up really having to kind of, like, make certain things work. So sometimes our college counseling is hap- – we have a, a commercial kitchen. Sometimes it's happening in the kitchen. Sometimes it's happening behind the counter in the shop. Sometimes it's happening in the homework room. Um, wherever we can effectively engage with a participant or a kid, making them feel safe and supported is where it'll take place. Hmm. So, like you said, bikes are a lens to look at a whole range of issues that are affecting the people in this community, the kids. Mm -hmm. It's a way to get them there, so you can talk to them about college. Yeah, totally. Yeah, bikes end up being um, an access point for, for so many different kids, because Sometimes it's kids that come in as, like, 12- and 13-year-olds in the summer, and they just need to learn how to fix their flat or get a patch kit. Um, and so they'll, they'll sign up for the program, and they can get a patch kit, and they can earn some hours and get some parts for their bikes so that they can do what they want to do over the summer and ride around. And we're a drop-in space, so we don't require that a kid's there every day. You can spend as much time as you want in the shop. And so it ends up being really interesting because you have a kid that might start at 11 or 12 because they just want to get some tubes or something like that and they end up becoming incredibly interested in mechanical engineering because these are simple machines and stuff like that. And sometimes you have kids that start at 17 because they're interested in mechanical engineering and want to start working on bikes. They provide an access point to a wide range of different kids, of different age ranges as well. Um, And so it ends up being really cool seeing all the different ways that bikes can create community and link people up with resources that don't necessarily end up having anything to do with like there are people that work in our buildings for the various organizations that were blackstone kids and because they came to the program they're now helping others navigate bad police interactions um and it's it's a really cool thing to kind of see that evolution happen one of the, the most fun parts about working at Blackstone is our race team and the cyclocross team. And this was my first year racing cross, but our, uh, our coach and um, a previous employee at Blackstone um, was kind of like helping me get up to speed with everything um, and still kind of like mentoring the team, so to speak. And it was really cool to see the relationships that he had built over like five or six years coming to fruition as everybody was getting together, supporting one another, making it out to races and doing stuff like that. Yeah. How long have you been there at Blackstone? Um, I've been there 10 months. And you're pretty young? Uh, yeah, I'm going I'm to turn 26 this month. Okay. Did you know this was the direction you wanted to go in and what's your background? Well, I had a background working on bikes and a background working with kids mm-hmm. and pretty much just wanted, I would get tired of working only with kids and be like, I just want to ride my bike. And then in this, I would, I'd be a substitute for a while. Um, so I did that in the school year. And then for a while I taught uh, sex ed and health education. And I wanted to be able to work with 
a group of the same kids consistently because I'd go into different classrooms and you would think that you were probably having an effect or making an impact, but you really didn't get a chance to stick around and, and see it happen. Uh, you just kind of hoped that what you were saying was effective. Um, and then I would wrench in the summer uh, just to kind of make money throughout the, the summer because I wasn't teaching. And then I knew that there were organizations in Chicago that did work with kids and with bikes. And I was like, if I could figure out a way to become a bike educator, I would be totally set. I wouldn't get tired of doing either thing. It would be the perfect harmony. And so I was probably for about eight months just going on various websites for bike education programs in Chicago. Um, and I was always looking at Blackstone because their approach um, and the, the, the mutualism that's practiced, that's practiced by experimental station, uh, it meant a lot to me. I had heard a lot of really cool and positive things about Blackstone, and they were the first ones that had an opening. And so I, I shot my resume over and wrote a cover letter that opened with, like, you're not going to find a better candidate that has mm -hmm. the blended experience that I do for this position. And I got an interview. Ended up getting interviewed by the kids themselves. So there are kids that I'm now training that got to interview me to see if they wanted me to be their teacher. Uh, which I thought was a really cool cool way to practice it and a good way for us to give them exposure to other business skills, which is another element of our program. Yeah, it's amazing. Do you find that it's different to teach kids? Well, I'm assuming that I know the answer. In an academic setting versus yes. you know, what, what you would With, call, call... Without a doubt. Yeah, what is <laughs> um, the difference? There are positive and negatives to both. In an academic setting, you kind of have a captive audience. There are, are set standards that have been in place as kids go through the education system. Um, regardless of really where they're being educated, there's like the standards that you understand of what your behavior should be in school. It's totally different in after-school programs, and especially with one that is so close to a school, there, <laughs> there's a lot of desire to get wild and to run around as soon as you're dismissed. I kind of have to take that into account in what we do, that, that we're not just going to be education, that there has to be a large element of fun and activity uh, to keep the kids engaged and to keep them wanting to come back because it is a drop-in space. Um, mm. So you you got to do stuff that's going to make them want to be there and structuring it the same way that I would have done one of my health ed classes would just not work whatsoever. What is the structure? Because I have started a bike club. I, I'm a middle school teacher, seventh grade, mm -hmm. and I started a bike club and I haven't really structured it. So what would your advice be to someone who's doing that? to start up what you're doing? Well, the, the nature of our space as a drop-in space kind of limits some of the structure that we're able to put in place. So if we were to be like a workshop model, um, which are a, a, kind of the way that a lot of like community bike shops and bike education programs run, we'd have, say, like an eight-week course where like the first week we're going to talk about simple stuff, flat fixes and tools. And then the second week, we're going to do bearing systems and, and kind of move on down the road. But what we do is I try and make sure that we have a large amount of volunteers and staff and just individuals that know what they're doing with bikes so that we can kind of meet the kids where they are at individually. Because mm -hmm. on any given day, you could have a kid that knows how to true wheels and set limits and then a kid who has no idea how to fix a flat. And so as much as we can, we try and have the youth work together um, and gain skills from their peers because that is a really effective way for them to do it. When it comes to, like, larger skills and more in-depth stuff, sometimes it looks like if I've got 
say, an 11-year-old and a 15-year-old, and I'm trying to teach both of them how to set up a rear derailleur, I'm going to have the 11-year-old do certain things that are going to keep their hands more engaged, whereas the 15-year-old, I'm going to be asking them a few more questions about, like, why do you think spring tension affects uh, the way that this moves? Or, like, hmm. what is determining our cable pull? Like, how do we know that it's moving the same distance? And, like, why does that matter? And that kind of thing. And so having them teach each other at the same time as I'm teaching them ends up being a pretty effective process as well. Mm-hmm. That's but what, in terms of, like, general structure, I, <laughs> there's not a, a whole lot I can offer you because we, we try and meet them where they're at every day. And in, in my experience, uh, on the days where I try and institute more structure and have super rigid plans at, like, 4.30 we're doing this, and at 5.15 then everybody's going to transition to this. Inevitably, be the days where two kids show up crying at the very beginning, and mm. I'm like navigating behavioral problems for the the whole day and stuff like that. Um, so, I would say what we try and do is have as much structure as allowed on any given day, and then as much flexibility as possible uh, within those limits. Mm-hmm. What have you seen in your ten months? Any of the kids been there the whole time? Have you seen a lot of yeah, progress? Yeah, I've seen some pretty incredible things actually. Probably some of the the best victories are seeing kids that kind of come in super timid and don't necessarily know their. Way. I mean, a- anybody that stepped into a bike shop, especially uh, one that isn't like a super high end retail store that's going to be super customer focused, that's going to be more like of a, a service based shop. It can be a little intimidating, and especially as, like, an 11-year-old or something like that. Or an, I mean, our programs open up to 8-year-olds. So we get kids who come in all wide-eyed and barely open their mouths for the first two weeks. Some of the best times are when you find the ability to connect with a kid on that, that one-on-one basis or find that thing that is really going to get them engaged and invigorated about working on bikes. So some of the, the most fun stuff I've been able to do um, I was struggling to get a group of kids to um, correctly put brake pads back on V-brakes with their washers in the right order and having everything um, done correctly so that we could adjust and tow in our pads. And so I decided we were going to have a competition where we all had to assemble them blindfolded. Huh. And so every kid that had been struggling with this, as soon as they realized that they could win a T-shirt and that it was going to be a challenge memorized like that like so quickly memorized the order of their washers that we had convex and concave washers where everything was going to go and i wound up i was doing it with them um i wound up getting beaten huh. by an 11 year old that's great he put it together in like 45 seconds oh my which God. i was just like dude that's insane and now he just nails it every time wow so, where's what's uh, he gonna like that is super fun <laughs> Well, what's he going to do when he gets to be 26? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's, that's, that's one of the other great things. Like, just last week I found out from one of our cyclocross coaches that another participant of ours got a job at Johnny Sprockets. And Johnny Sprockets is one of the more high-end stores in the city of Chicago, and it's a great shop. It's just so awesome to hear that kind of stuff because having our kids in a variety of stores around the city, in a variety of neighborhoods around the city, um, really just does more outreach than we could ever do on our own and more advertising than we could ever do on our own. 
Um, because to have someone in those shops building relationships with other cyclists and for them to be like, where did you learn all this stuff? They're like, oh, yeah, it was at this community shop, uh, Blackstone Bike Works. That's, wh- that's where I'm from. That's who who helped me get to this point and become this individual. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really awesome. And we've got kids over at Johnny's Brockets. Um, we have had internships and externships at shops all over the city. Heritage Bikes has helped us out a great deal. Uh, Comrade Cycles has been amazing. We've had some kids really excel over there. And then uh, Cozy's as well has done some, some fantastic things for the kids. Anything else you want to tell us about what you do? Apron program, did you want to get into detail about what the colors are and what each signifies? That's yeah, pretty interesting. Sure. Gray is the most basic, and that is any kid that walks in the program. So everybody starts off as a gray apron. To get to your green apron, you pretty much have to learn how to fix a flat, patch a tube, clean and oil your chain, pump up your tires to the correct PSI, and uh, tension a single-speed chain. Once you got all that, and then um, a couple different business skills, like giving a tour of the program, answering the phone in the correct way, and stuff like that, um, then you're a green apron. And then once you hit your green apron, we start to do more advanced stuff, well, more advanced than what we're doing with the grace. Um, that's the kind of stuff, like brake pad installs and brake adjustments and stuff like that. Um, then... Between green and red, we're doing more stuff on cup and cone systems, so talking about one-piece bottom brackets, uh, threaded headsets, hubs, and stuff like that. Trying to do all the cup and cone systems together because they're applicable to a lot of different things across the board. Um, And then to get your purple apron, you're doing a whole lot of different drivetrain stuff. So that is where we start talking about sizing chains properly, uh, making sure that your derailleur hanger is aligned correctly, uh, what your limit screws do, uh, what cable pull ratios are, the difference between mountain shifting and road shifting and stuff like that. Um, and then black apron is some of the more like specialized skills. So that's stuff like setting up disc brakes, things kind of of that nature. Once you get red to get to purple and from purple to black, there is a required amount of teaching skills. So you have to be able to teach a certain amount of skills as well to the other kids within the program. And that ends up going about kind of like demonstrating a whole lot of mastery of the skill as well. So if you're able to teach the kids in the program as well, you've really kind of nailed it. That's amazing. So how many colors was that in all? Five? Five. So gray, green, red, purple, and black. And then what do they do? They're teaching. Do they get paid? Yeah, then they get paid. Yeah, then then they build bikes and make money. (laughs) Um, And hopefully once they get their black apron, then they're either building bikes and, and making money through our shop or... Most of our black aprons are the kids that become eligible for the internships and ex- externships. So we, as a as a shop, keep on um, two senior interns for the entire year, and those are kids in high school, generally between like 16 and 18. Um, and then we have junior interns as well. Um, those are for the summer, and all the interns re- receive a stipend based on the amount of hours that they're spending in the program and for the program. And if they go over that allotted amount of hours, then they're earning the hours as currency again at like a time and a half rate. Okay, and and then they are they also, early on, uh, can, can use their time to pay for bike parts and even stuff at the farmer's market. Yeah, absolutely. And actually one of the things that I'm working on right now um, are other ways to get kids to view the hours as currency. Um, so in the wintertime, 
there's less excitement about cycling. And so our, our high schoolers that are using their bikes as transportation, and for them it's a way to get around, it's a method of freedom, they're still on their bikes, they're still spending their hours and buying parts because stuff is getting salty and corroded, they got to fix things. Um, but with the younger kids, they get dropped off and picked up at school, they're not spending a whole lot of time outside, so bikes become less of a selling point. And with having one farmer's market a month, that also becomes a little difficult. So getting kids to consistently record their time and sign out their hours is always more challenging in the winter. Um, so other stuff that we're trying to do, there's a, uh, there's a coffee shop in our building, and all the kids love the coffee shop because they have great deals on, like, kids' pastries and kids' drinks. Uh-huh. Um, so we're working with them to figure out a way that kids could use their hours as currency over there. Um, I'm currently, I don't know if this is going to be a, uh, a continuous basis thing, um, but one of the kids asked me if he could use his hours to purchase fabric so that we, we've had one volunteer come in with her sewing machine and she's built pillowcases. Um, we're going to start making hip pouches as well. Um, yeah. He talked to her about making a Dragon Ball Z costume and okay. so asked me then, he was like, can I buy three yards of fabric with my hours? And I was like, yeah, of, of course, we can find a way to make that work. If you're going to record your hours so that we can build you a Dragon Ball Z costume, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. That's great. And who's behind the Experimental Station? Sorry, did I say that uh, wrong? So Experimental Station was founded by Connie Spreen and Dan Peterman. Um, and Connie is still our executive director. That's okay. Um, it sounds amazing. And... So you also do uh, bike safety, not not just fixing, uh, but and maintaining, but riding, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of a part of our our after school program as well, because the kids want to ride the bikes that we've got. We got to make sure that they one know how to ride, um, and two can do it safely. And so we do like group ride practicing and stuff like that. Actually, today because it was Friday and it was sunny out. Uh, we had a bunch of kids riding around, so if anybody wants to jump on our Instagram, there's some, some great photos of all of our kids tooling around on their bikes. Um, but we were practicing stuff like hand signals, making sure that you've got enough space between yourself and the person in front of you so that you can stop in time. Next week, we're gearing up to do some stuff about helmet safety, and I have some brain jello molds that we're going to be using to show how effective a helmet is at keeping our brain in one piece. Wow. Um, yeah. That's that fantastic. Yeah. Brain jello molds, like they sell those? Yeah, yeah. They're normally made for Halloween and like people will make like green jello brains that people use at like haunted houses and stuff. Uh-huh. But I was like, if that's an anatomically sized brain, I can fit it in a helmet and use it as <laughs> game. So we'll see. I suppose I should probably test this myself before I start dropping them with helmets. Well, because if if the jello gets just as messed up with the helmets, it's not gonna be a great indicator for uh, me. So you're gonna have um, a control a control jello. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Because I was thinking a jello's gonna fall apart even if it's in a helmet, but but maybe less. Yeah. It'll fall apart less. We're gonna drop one without a helmet and so it all being able to stay together I right. think is gonna gonna make a difference. We might end up doing it with cantaloupe, too, because I've heard cantaloupe works pretty well. I'm sure you get it right. This sounds like good teaching. You know, having kids teach each other, that the peer thing, you know, using hands-on. Mm-hmm. I mean, hands-on. That's just as hands-on as you can get in the neighborhood, relevant. It, I mean, connects to their lives in, in all these different ways. 
it's like to just it's the way to you know education schools wish that everything else could be mm -hmm. but yeah. yeah but you're doing it yeah i i try to as much as i can get away from all the things that frustrated me about being a substitute and and being in the the traditional teaching sense um and what's awesome about Blackstone is that we're we're a small crew and we're pretty tight and it gives us a lot of autonomy to kind of make our own decisions and try and do different things. The fact of the matter is kids are changing every single year and the things that they're into and the things that are going to be engaging to them are, are changing drastically as well. And so you got to be able to kind of adapt to those things and find those points of engagement wherever they are if you want to be able to kind of have any cachet and move forward in the future. Yeah, that sounds really good. What is your Instagram? Blackstone Bike Works. And you made a video that we can check out? What was it? A music video? Yeah, we've got uh, the Stay In Your Lane music video. That was done as a collaboration with Donda's House, which is an organization that is here in Chicago. The musician Rhyme Fest started it, and he was a great assistant in, in recording the video. Oh, he's in it? Or is, is he behind the scenes producing? Um, he's behind the scenes. His organization kind of facilitated a lot of it. Okay. All right. Well, anything else you'd like to leave us with? Just that we got to get more kids on bikes. And we're a program that operates on a donation basis. So if you have parts lying around in your house that you were going to throw out or throw on eBay, throw them in a box and send them to us. Because I guarantee that a kid will find a way to use them and they will be on a bike within a week sometimes. <laughs> Uh, that was one of the coolest things about our cross team, that people would see us out at races, donate us a frame, and then I, I had one guy donate us a frame and then write me an email the next week saying how cool it was to have that same frame pass him as a complete <laughs> bike with a rider the next week. That is amazing. Yes. Yeah. If anybody wants to help out with moments like that, they're always welcome. All right. Thanks, DJ. Is DJ your first name? And then okay. Yeah. My, my dad was a radio DJ with a sense of humor. Cool. Thanks for talking to us. My pleasure. And we'll keep looking out for Blackstone Bike Works and Experimental Station. Sounds good. We appreciate it. Okay. Listen up because we talking about your safety. These some rules for your B-I-K-E. Wear a helmet when you biking on the regular. Snapchat later, homie, get up off that cellular. Intersections where I'm yielding for the traffic. Looking both ways just to prevent me from crashing. Stay alert and try to turn it to a habit. These some bike tricks when you work your bike magic. In my lane, I ride the same as the vehicle. Why is that? Cause I'm trying to be predictable. Right close so I can always Stay visible. Looking left and right will keep the cars in your visual. Stay in your lane, stay in your lane. When you ride, you need to stay in your lane. Stay in your lane, stay in your lane. When you ride, you need to stay in your lane. Windy City got bikes, you need a bike, get a divvy. Bike friend, pretty trendy, we popping willies, yeah. School days, too long to switch lanes. Slow down for life change in times the signs change, wow. So I keep my focus, watching for cars and locals. Safety first, pads and helmets keeping me in motion. Minds to keep them open, knowing anything can happen when your bike is coasting. Watch out, look how we roll. Stay in your lane, stay in your lane. When you ride, you just stay in your
ride your bike on the phone Make that call later, wait until you get home Better see you when them street lights come on When you ride at night, trying to make it home Another thing, please, strap your helmet up Hope you slowing up, make sure the lights flash When you leave the house, I just gotta ask It's safety first, hope you riding on the right path Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 